reading from 1 Kings. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. Is it enough, O Lord? Take my life away, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food, forty days and forty nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Amen. 
A reading from the letter of Paul to the Galatians. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, this is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Our theme today is that of hope. And you know the three great virtues of faith, hope, and love. And today I'd like to uh, dwell just a bit on hope. As I was preparing to uh, preach today, early in the week I began to develop some ideas around the first reading, which has to do with the prophet Elijah. And uh, so I developed, you know, some ideas, and then on Thursday evening, I read the, uh, the weekly e-blast, you know, that comes out, you know, from the office and from Richard, and lo and behold, the first, uh, the first entry is uh, an excellent summary of the first reading by Brother Richard, and so, as always, he stole my thunder, so... <laughs> However, I would like to capture uh, his comments for all of us because if you didn't read this, I just want to offer it to you because it's uh, an excellent insight into the nature of that reading. It was a long reading. So this is what Richard had to say. This Sunday we hear a key moment out of the cycle of stories about the great prophet Elijah. In a moment of deep insecurity and uncertainty, Elijah's life is threatened. He flees to the wilderness and begs for an end to his struggle. When at last he pauses long enough to await God's response, he is startled not to meet God in the power of the whirlwind or in an earthquake or in a fire, but in the sound of sheer silence. A remarkable turn of phrase that talks about the profound, unnerving calm that accompanies the presence of the living God. And in conclusion, he writes, God's presence in our lives is not absent in our busyness or in the storms that often accompany the age in which we live. But the divine life remains most accessible and audible to us when we have stopped long enough to enter silence. Silence so we can hear at last above the chattering of our own anxieties and ambitions and the demands of our crazed schedules. 
Thus the words of Brother Richard. Thank you, Brother Richard. I won't comment further, but just to remind you that, you know, in the scriptures we have these, these individuals known as prophets. And I know that as we grow up, the first thing in mind when we hear of a prophet is somebody who seems to be a visionary, you know, who can predict the future and so on. And we use it that way commonly. But the word prophet actually means uh, to speak on behalf of someone else, to speak for someone, sort of like an ambassador. And the prophets of old uh, were ambassadors for the Lord. And uh, because of the horrendous leadership in Israel, some of these kings, like the one we had today, Ahab, these people were terrible. And very frequently, the people were led astray into all kinds of idolatry and so on. It was a constant theme. And so, the prophets wound up having to speak truth to power. They had to remind the people of what they were doing and how they had strayed from the Lord. And of course, this was a very unpopular thing to do. And it was not uncommon for the prophets to be threatened and... Uh, you know, even to be done away with. So naturally, we have Elijah here who, who is in a state of fear. And uh, he was very unpopular with uh, Ahab and uh, his queen Jezebel for the things that he challenged them with. And so they were going to get rid of him, and he knew it. So he fled. And, of course, he's looking for some solace. He's looking for some strength, some grace from God. He's looking for some protection from the Lord. And as we all usually do when we imagine the divine and the God and so on, we think in grandiose uh, terms. You know, the, mind, uh, the human mind uh, really does a lot of picture thinking, especially in religion. And so uh, his picture thinking was, you know, that God was going to appear in some kind of a, a storm or an earthquake or some majestic way, and that would reassure him. But of course, to his surprise, the Lord appears in his silence, which is really disarming. And of course, it is in the silence when we have quieted all our human tendencies, it is in the silence that the great gifts that we have within us, the spark of the divine is able then to arise. It's able to appear. But it requires us to stop what we're doing, especially uh, all, the busyness, all the busyness of our minds. And so... Uh, Elijah is comforted. He does receive the grace that he needed and the reassurance that he will be all right, that his mission is not only successful, but that he avoided losing his life. Now, it's interesting, in the gospel, we have a very similar theme of silence in a way. Because Jesus encounters a lunatic. And the people, of course, in that neighborhood always encountered this man as a lunatic. 
He was always troublesome, carrying on and so on. Now, there were other prophets in ancient Israel who uh, would use uh, very peculiar means in order to uh, summon the power of God. Uh, in fact, these prophets were usually, they usually uh, drifted off into idolatry and so on. So they were not the kind of people that you would want around if you're looking for the truth or the presence of God. And Elijah was well known for challenging them. And that's, that's another reason why he was so popular. Because those prophets were only uh, speaking what the people wanted to hear. And his message were, was a challenging message, which they didn't want to hear. So in that theme, the, uh, whenever anyone was either possessed or whatever the case may be, some of these others would carry on all kinds of incantations, dances, and so forth and so on, where they felt uh, they would be able to cast out the demon, you see. And that was very common. But in this particular uh, gospel passage, Jesus does nothing. He just appears. It's his presence that challenges the, the problem. And uh, it is that presence which brings about the, the grace and the strength in order to confront all this craziness. And so in a way, that's another theme or another uh, example of this quietness of God. It's just the quiet presence of God that usually uh, empowers us. And in the gospel, that's exactly what happens here. And what's the result? The result is that this individual is healed. He's healed. Not only is he healed, but he finds himself wanting to follow Jesus, wanting to be a part, you know, of his, of his company. But Jesus says, no, um, I, I want you to go out and witness. I want you to, you know, uh, let the people know what was done for you. And so he becomes like one of the early apostles in a way. The, we have within us great powers, actually, if we can only uh, bring them out of us. And this is the whole reason for our faith and our religious beliefs, our religious practices, that uh, we want to liberate uh, the divine spirit, the spark within us, the, the spark of the divine that is within us already. But it has, to be, uh, it has to be stimulated and brought out. And one of the ways, of course, is to be silent. Now, I know many of you, because I know you personally, do live lives where you bring into your lives some, some sort of silence, prayer, meditation, reflection, and so on. I know that you do this. But most people don't. They're too busy. You know, the human life is really anchored in the five senses, in the tangible world, you know, the things you can touch and see. And all of our activities in life, the work that we do, the raising of families, all of the, all the various challenges that we go through, the busyness of our lives, really sucks up all the oxygen 
in our life. We don't have a lot of time really to do other things. We don't have a lot of time to be quiet. And for a lot of people, they don't have even a place where they feel they can be quiet. On the other hand, uh, it's the only salvation we have. Because the real treasure that we have as human beings and our souls and our spirit, that's where things really get done. And that's where we receive the grace that we need. So uh, let me just end with this. Back in 1960, I remember, uh, we had the first, uh, the first televised Olympics. They were in Rome. And uh, somehow I saw a name the other day in the news. It wasn't in the news, but it was in a story. And it brought to mind something from that Olympics which I'd like to conclude with. <clears throat> and it brings out what we are preaching about here today. One of the uh, contestants, one of the American contestants, was a, uh, was a female runner. Uh, her name was Wilma Rudolph. And I remember this. I remember it very well. And her story, I think, illustrates uh, what I'm driving home here and I hope it will be inspirational to you. She was the 20th of 22 children. She was born prematurely, and her survival was doubtful. When she was four years old, she contracted double pneumonia and scarlet fever, which left her with a paralyzed left leg. At age nine, she removed the metal leg brace she had been dependent upon and tried to walk without it. By 13, she had developed a rhythmic gait, which doctors said was impossible. That same year, she decided to become a runner. She entered a race and came in last. For the next few years, every race she entered, she came in last. Everyone told her to quit, but she wanted to keep on running. One day, she actually won a race, and then another. From then on, she won every race she entered. Eventually, this little girl, who was told she would never walk again, went on to win three Olympic gold medals. And so the moral of the story is hope and determination. We face many challenges. Some of them are apparently overwhelming to us. But uh, with a clear vision and uh, with a little bit of ambition, we all have to look our fears in the face and do the thing we think we cannot do. And of course, a winner isn't someone who never fails. It's the one who never quits.
Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.